Hi there, ladies and gentlemen. This is Matt Brown. Thank you so much for tuning back into the Matt Brown Show, powered by SMERocketfuel.com. A quick update from SMERocketfuel.com. The community is that we have launched a week ago. We had over 500 registrations on our first week. So I just wanted to say thank you so much to all of you who have been supporting uh, the Matt Brown Show and taking the leap with us in this next chapter of our journey. So today we are joined all the way from Rotterdam in the Netherlands. Jürgen is a multiple-time author, and today we're going to focus on his latest book called Startup, Scale-Up, Screw-Up, 42 Tools to Accelerate Lean and Agile Business Growth. Now, 18 months ago, if you had asked me whether we would be talking about a pandemic, I would have said no, and I'm sure many of you would have agreed with me. But yet here we are. And the markets that we play in are moving all the time. And as a business, uh, as a team, as a founder, CEO, you need to take your business and make it as agile as possible to changing market conditions, especially if you are a startup, especially if you do not have much runway to play with. So how do you navigate this? How do you build an agile business? How do you adapt to changing markets? And this is what we discussed today. Among many, many other things, some of the key points that we talked about today is around motivation. In other words, what kind of entrepreneur are you? Do you want to build something truly at scale and list on the New York Stock Exchange? Or are you a small giant, a great business with a great team that no one really knows about? Uh, and which type of entrepreneur are you? We also talk about this idea of Ikigai, and it's a framework to figure out what motivates you as a founder and human. And once you figure out that DNA, a lot of the decision-making that you need to make as your business starts to start up and scale up uh, becomes really, really clear. We also talk about entrepreneurs who wind up with businesses that they hate uh, and why that happens and what entrepreneurs can do about it. I share a very personal story about my mother passing away uh, last week um, and how that uh, event has given me a new perspective on my business and on my life. We also talk about raising capital. Now, Jürgen has raised capital through crowdfunding and he shares his experiences, learnings and insights around that. But we also talk about the downsides of raising capital. In other words, if you raise capital what does it mean for you as a founder and how does it change the way you see your business? Uh, and the other thing that's really key here is that we talk about pivoting. If you need to pivot your business, exactly how do you approach this? And how do you overcome the fear of deciding that you have a new North Star and along with that change is going to come a whole bunch of suffering and <laughs> uncertainty and doubt. So this is something that we're going through now as a business, and I'll share some personal anecdotes as well in that area. So without further ado, into Jürgen Appello. I suppose maybe in the business environment, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it was all about profit. Uh, you know, so you, you exist and the whole business is based around the shareholders. But now I think, you know, with social justice warriors being, <laughs> being out there, the world's kind of moved again, even culturally. And the role of business is now looking, is being looked at to solve the problems that in us, you know, government has in many cases failed at. They're looking to the private sector. They're looking to startups to create, you know, outcomes that benefit not just the shareholders, but the whole of society. And I was listening to, a podcast with um, uh, the founder of Peloton, John Foley. 
And uh, Peloton is a $35 billion company. I mean, you know who they are, but they do these like virtual cycling events and stuff like that. And they've just done a, a partnership with Beyonce. I don't know whether you've heard about it, um, but Beyonce and Peloton have now um, uh, partnered together to make a difference to the Black Lives Matter movement, where I think they're contributing like half a billion dollars every year to, you know, social economic development for underprivileged and things like that. Um, well, how do you see the role of contribution now? If you think about startup, scale up, screw up, where does contribution sit within that process? Well, um, as, as I just said, there, there's a model out there called Ikigai, and it, that basically it's, it's a Venn diagram of four things that you need to think about. Um, one thing is, of course, how, how do you make money? That has traditionally been the one that many entrepreneurs have focused on exclusively. How can I make money with the next big thing? Uh, but the other three are, what are you good at? What are your competencies, your abilities? What do you want to be good at? Uh, the third one is is uh, 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 your contribution to the uh, uh, to the world, and the fourth one is what you love uh, love doing, what you're passionate about. Well, that third one, the contribution, has become more and more important. Uh, Ten years ago or something, I read the book Conscious Capitalism by John Mackey of Whole Foods Market. Uh, I loved it, and 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 he had that among many others that that really important point of not just having a business that makes money, but also somehow making a difference in the world around you. You want some legacy. Uh, no, nobody uh, who uh, has, at, has been asked the question uh, before they died, uh, uh, what is the thing you're most proud of, uh, has said, uh, well, I made, it, I made millions of money. <laughs> uh, that, that's the thing I'm most proud of. No, usually people say I made a difference or I, I, I had something meaningful to contribute to this, to this planet or to my family or to my, my friends or whatever. It could be a large uh, circle. It could be a small circle but you want something permanent i have always said i want some isbn numbers permanently for the rest of my life that's my contribution to the world nobody will steal my isbn numbers they will be there uh, indefinitely uh, and uh, that's that's my legacy when i'm not there anymore my books will be out there for for always um and you need to have something like that so what are you going to leave behind that's not how much money you've made but uh, what 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 impact has uh, have you had and i mean we we just had the report of the ipcc on on climate change uh, for some people it's that it's is what can what can my contribution be to uh, helping the world adapt or or prevent uh, further uh, uh, climate change uh, uh, atrocities as we see them on the news <laughs> more and more. Uh, find your thing and combine it with what you're good at, what you can can make money with, and and uh, what you what you love to do. Yeah, it's a powerful idea. Um, my my mother's a personal story. My mother passed away uh, last week, <clears throat> and um, I've been. Uh, it's funny. Death teaches you or gives you a perspective on on where you are in your journey, and. One of the things that um, I've I've consequently, or a new perspective she's given me as part of her own legacy, is that if you only if you only chase money, you it's a fool's errand, you know. Um, and I think when you start up 
and you're in the process of scaling up, the, you're trying to solve a problem and the, the problem moves. So when you think about you're going to you know, stay in this lane when you start, uh, you actually wind up in an entirely different lane and wind up with a business that you didn't really start out to you know, have in the because you just wanted to make money and survive. Um, and so the market's moving. What happens, I know many entrepreneurs that, that wind up with businesses that they hate. And even if it's at scale, it's still a screw up because they hate it. Uh, and this goes back to your point about motivation. And I think we're scared. I think many of us, I will say, I, 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 am, I, I was scared. If you asked me you know, four weeks ago, are you scared to pivot again? Uh, I would have said, yeah, sure. But now, funny, you know, timing's a weird thing, and I do believe in synchronicity. Now I view this whole pivot thing as something exciting. It's not you moving, you're not moving away from something, you're moving towards something. And that thing that um, you move towards must be something that is contribution-led. And that's what SME Rocket Fuel is. Like if I think about my other businesses, like they're successful, like I'm trying to sell them because – I don't like. I don't love the business. I, somebody else can love it, you know, but it's not for me. Um, and it's a powerful lesson that I, that I wanted to share with you, uh, and I also our audience around the world, because it's something that I believe many entrepreneurs are scared about. They don't want to change because the markets move, and they go, "Damn, I don't want to start again." But you don't have a choice because you lose anyway if you don't change. Like if it doesn't fulfill you. Like you will lose. You you it's a you screwed up. Even if your business is at a scale up, um, yep. and, yeah. And I wanted to maybe ask you: Have you have you had a personal experience where you've uncovered a higher motivation, a purer motivation um, in yep. your experience through failure potentially, or through loss? Well, um, of course. Couple of things come to mind. First of all, so I, I I set up a licensing business around my brand uh, Management 3.0 with workshops given by others because I knew when I started I don't want to be offering workshops for the rest of my life. That doesn't interest me. I love creating workshops and creating new content. So from the start, I set up a licensing business. That was one of the best decisions I ever made because uh, that scaled um, and I, I, I ran that business for seven eight years. And then I got bored um, because it it was running. It was just growing and it was going fine. And I noticed uh, this is not going to make me happy if I keep doing this for much longer. I'm going to become a grumpy CEO because it's going to be the same thing, uh, just uh, 10 times bigger than uh, than, uh, than before. Um, so I sold it. Uh, I sold a good, good part of it. And I used that that uh, that uh, um, windfall to to start something else that I was more passionate about at that moment because things change over time. You have your passions and, and and they come and go. So that was a learning experience for me that I'm clearly interested in the creative part of business, so coming up with something new and then failing three, four, five, six times until something works. And then when it works, I get bored. <laughs> and I want to do something else uh, because I prove, yay, I've, I've, I've been able to turn this uh, crazy idea into something that is now a business model that, that can start scaling. 
Uh, I have others. I have a good friend who is really, really good at scaling things up. And I always joke, he's never had an original idea in his life, but he's the perfect person <laughs> to take a business and then make it from one to 1,000 <laughs> and then scale it up. We're wired differently. Some people are really good at scaling things up. I'm I'm good at coming up with creative ideas. Mm. Well, the next startup I came up with, that has failed so far. I needed a pivot. Um, I was really enthusiastic. I put a lot of money in it. All that is gone now because, yeah, uh, things didn't work out. Uh, and then again, I had to think, okay, what did, <laughs> what can I learn about myself here? I was uh, too enthusiastic about my idea, perhaps. Um, uh, maybe I should uh, focus on other things. Well, the vision remains the same, but my strategy now differs. So that's a genuine pivot. Um, and uh, now I seem to have something that is going to work again. So, And that makes me happy. Just trying again and again until I have nailed it down that gets me up in the morning i know that for, uh, about myself that i have creative ideas nine out of ten don't work but i know there's one out of ten that will work just finding it is what entrepreneurship is is about but as soon as it works i'll probably get bored again <laughs> i need i need to hand it over to somebody else it's um it's an interesting thing because i i don't think that um this idea of pivot um if i think about it it's not something that comes naturally. Do you know what I'm saying? Like if you to do a 180 or to yeah. throw away everything you know and sure. to literally like as in like I'm in this beautiful house and to your point, I'm bored. I'm tired yeah. of the way that the walls look. Yeah. You know, and I'm the yeah. same. Like I think if it's not like just, you know, pushing me, pushing me, pushing me all the time, like I lose interest. I I, I have to be challenged. And so to your point, startup is super challenging, right? You've got to find sales. You've got to find product market fit. You've got to do all these higher people, blah, 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 sell, sell, sell. Uh, and you don't have a lot of time. You've got to raise money. And, and it's amazing. Like a startup for me is the most exciting, you know, stage of a business ever because you just don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then, yeah. you, and then you, get to, you get to scale up, right? Uh, and then this is what I say. It's like, but it, how long does it take to get there? You know, it's like it could be, it could be I don't know, like a year, Maybe, maybe three, maybe five. I mean, one of the, I wanted to ask you this, actually. Uh, well, I want to talk to you about funding now. So one of the things that uh, obviously I mentioned is that we're doing a funding race. I would love to get your advice on, on how to do this in terms of options and how to approach funding uh, so that you can actually even enter into this idea of scale as a tech business. Or not. I mean, you could be like a, a Starbucks challenger sort of thing. Um, but um, but uh, funding options, maybe let's start there. Um, what do you know about funding options uh, that others potentially do not? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, 
blocks all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Well, um, I have experience with crowdfunding myself and I have experience with angel investors. That's my only experience. I do not have experience personally with, with venture capitalists or even bigger institutional investors. I, I don't go there. I have jumped off long before that time, <laughs> if it would ever get there. Um, so I'm very in, in the very earliest stages. And uh, the, my most recent funding round was two years ago, was it was crowdfunding. I, I, I raised uh, about 300,000 euros uh, through my network, uh, uh, through LinkedIn and Twitter and whatnot. Um, uh, I have thousands of contacts and that works if you have a, have a network, if you have people who, uh, who who believe in your idea, if you have visibility, if you have, if you have a story. Um, and um, yeah, there are a, a couple of benefits to, to crowdfunding uh, that, that you do not have when you have uh, angel investors or, or a venture capitalist. First of all, you, you, you spread the, uh, the responsibility among many, many, many more people with much smaller amounts of money. So uh, you feel less of a pressure from specific people that you need to have something working right now. Like, okay, my, my biggest investors have perhaps invested a few thousand euros. That's still probably not a lot of money for them <laughs> because it's many people that I raised, raised from. So they're not overly concerned about the time it takes me to do my experimentation and my lean, uh, my lean startup approach and my pivots and everything. I have time without worrying too much about investors breathing down my neck. Uh, another benefit is um, is uh, they are uh, rooting for you. I mean, uh, they will be the first customers. <laughs> if I have something working, for sure, of course, I have hundreds of people who will be gladly telling about it among their friends because they are owners, uh, co-owners of the company. So uh, those are a couple of, of benefits to crowdfunding. Of course, it works only if you have a network. Otherwise, if you, if you don't have it, you have an additional problem that you still have. You have to make create that network in the first place. That's the chicken and egg problem. Mm. Um, so if you have a significant network, and I'm sure you do, uh, Matt, then that's for sure an option to, to uh, consider. Great. So I'll tap you up. <laughs> in two weeks come drop a hundred euros on me i'll make you proud jürgen all right <laughs> um i want to maybe share something with you so one of the things that my old school of thought was build it yourself even if it takes longer and i had a guest on the show mickey agrawal and she's raised she's taken money many times angel vc and stuff built several hundred million dollar companies and uh, she was like she told me straight she said matt you need to change your mind you need to get on the raise capital train because it, it's actually a good thing. And one of my reservations was when I was talking to her back then, this was maybe you know nine months ago, was that when you raise money, it's now an obligation. And I don't think many when you know entrepreneurs who go out there, they don't really re re see it as an obligation. And it absolutely is. It's not even a responsibility. It's an obligation to you now, Jürgen, for your 100 euros and then everybody else that backs you. 
So you have to, you, you're suddenly, you, you have shareholders now. <laughs> you're not the only shareholder. And it changes, it can change the whole experience where it's not only about you. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you now have this obligation to all these other investors. How did, if, if it did change for you, did it change for you? And in what way did your mindset change when it was like, oh shit, now I've got all these investors? It definitely changed. And I think it's a really good point, but on the positive side, on the negative side, I mean, it works both ways. Uh, you do have investors that you feel responsible for. You do have that obligation. And as I said, because I have crowdfunded, the amounts are relatively small for the people who have invested. Therefore, my feeling of obligation is relatively small compared to other startups that took money from venture capitalists. Um, but it is still there. I think about it every day, for sure. Um, I did talk with a number, quite a number of startups while writing that book, uh, the startups scale up, screw up. Um, and uh, I, uh, the, the comments that I can more, got more than once is that some of them regretted it, that they regretted taking money from uh, uh, investors because they said that additional pressure made them make decisions that they regretted afterwards. Because indeed, you feel that obligation, you feel that, that mounting pressure, that the investors breathing down your neck, you have to move fast, 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 uh, have a, a product market fit uh, uh, sooner rather than later. And uh, that tends to lead in some cases to not so good decisions that are made only for the benefit of the investors and not for the, the startup as a whole. From a more holistic picture, um, you could say that the bigger the influence of the investors, the bigger the risk that you take decisions that are not good for the company as a whole. Now, I don't know the details of what went wrong in those cases. It just it was told to me two, three times by startup founder that they regretted it and that they said, if only we had bootstrapped, bootstrapped uh, things would have been a lot easier. And uh, uh, so that needs to be weighed. I mean, yes, you can accelerate things thanks to uh, investors, angel investors, venture capitalists. They have their network. They can make sure things work for you that otherwise you would not have been able to do without their mentorship and their knowledge and experience and everything. On the other hand, they make you make decisions that sometimes you may not have wanted in the first place and you go down roads and it and, and it becomes a drug as some of them said because there's no way back once you've taken that first round there needs to be a second round there needs to be a third round you're in a direction that you cannot get out of anymore because they are going to expect you to scale 10 times 100 times in order to get their um, uh, return on investment uh, so that's a very important decision that you need to make do you want to go in that direction because there's no going back with the company if you do that yeah it's a very good point that eh? so thanks for raising all the alarm bells again Jürgen. i won't take your 100 <laughs> euros <laughs> uh, but on a serious note you know it's so it's a, such a powerful conversation this um you know, we spoke about, uh, in the beginning of the show, we spoke about your motivation and we spoke about contribution. Now, I think that if 
you, you mentioned these examples where some founders were like, this actually sucks. If I could go back in time, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't do it. So let's say that you were a Monday.com, which recently listed on um, uh, the New York Stock Exchange. So what's the contribution there? If you look at it on face value, there's, I, I can't see it. I don't know what it is. It's a cool product. We use it as a business ourselves. Congratulations and so forth. Now, if you were that founder and you were a complete capitalist and you, and you knew that you took them, the why that you, in terms of the why that you take the money is to just list on the New York Stock Exchange because you're a capitalist, you want to get rich. And when you list, you're essentially exiting anyway. So the other entrepreneur is like, let's just say it's SME rocket fuel that we want to raise capital for. I would say that my why is to make, to, is to raise money so that I can make the greatest difference to the greatest number of businesses around the world. So now if my, if my why in terms of contribution is congruent with why I need the capital, in other words, it's, for, it's to truly make the biggest difference possible. Now I don't care how much money I raise because I'll be like, well, how much can I get? You know what I mean? Because right. then it's like it's, everybody wins because yes. I, I'm it, my motivation is clear and my why about taking on the money is also clear. Many entrepreneurs don't have that reality. What they have is a survival mentality or situation. And they may go, well, actually, I need to go to an angel because I can't you know, I can't bootstrap this thing myself. And so they wind up in a situation to a point where they actually regret it. Yeah. Well, um, it makes me think of a conversation I had recently about uh, the luxury of us uh, in, in uh, rich countries of talking about becoming vegan or having only gluten-free products or whatever. Um, it is, it is a, an achievement that we are able to even have this choice, right? And we can say, well, um, I'm going to choose to eat only biologically uh, grown uh, products starting next week or whatever. A lot of people in the world are not in that situation yet. <laughs> and we cannot simply expect them to say, hey, um, I why are you, why why are you not vegan actually why why don't you only grow uh, eat and grow local or whatever we find important in our little uh, niche part of the world um i think the same applies to startups i cannot uh, say that every entrepreneur should have a higher purpose right from day one uh, for some indeed it is just survival mode you you're trying to come up with something that works and uh, purpose is a luxury. Um, it is for good reasons. It is at the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Many people have seen that picture before. It's uh, the self-actualization is level five. For many people, they first have uh, have to focus on a roof over their heads and and feed food for their children, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So um, I think. It is okay not to have a purpose in the beginning and just aim for something that works that you can make money with. And once you have that going and you have a business model that works, then please start thinking about, okay, now what do you want to do with your life? You have something that works, now use it to your advantage and to the advantage of the world around you. Stop thinking only about the money 
about having a bigger car than the neighbors or a, a, a bigger yacht than the other startup founder that you met, because now you have you're in this luxurious position of thinking about your purpose, your why. How can you make a difference with what you have achieved? And you you gave Peloton as an example. Apparently, they're thinking about this. I don't know if they thought about Black Lives Matter when they started up <laughs> their business. Probably not. But now they are in a position to think about these things and make a contribution together with Beyonce. And that's, I mean, that's commendable that some some founders and some scale-ups uh, do this. So it does have to start with a purpose, but at some point it should be added into the mix, um, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Well, the, the insights on that one around Peloton and Beyonce was that Beyonce's music is requested more by their customers than <laughs> anybody else. So it wasn't uh, like, it wasn't like, yeah, man, you know, <laughs> we're going to do this thing with Beyonce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would like to get your, your view there. I mean, uh, maybe it's a personal experience you can draw on, but I mean, maybe even your book. I mean, if you think about why you wrote your book, I imagine it's about contribution there. Do you feel that if you are self-actualized in your motivation as a founder, that you're more likely to succeed and or attract the right partners slash investors to that vision that you have for your startup? I think you're, you will be pivoting differently, probably. Um, uh, as Eric Ries in the Lee Startup said, a pivot is a change in strategy without a change in vision. Um, so with my current uh, startup, I have this vision of, of somehow gamification should be applied to organizational change. That makes sense to me because we see gamification in all kinds of products, whether it is dietary apps or, or uh, exercise apps or social networks, whatever. And I thought, okay, when we change organizations, we also want to have people change their behaviors. So why not apply gamification? And so that's my vision. I think somehow this needs to work. I haven't found the real product yet that works. I think I'm making progress, but I do not really have product market fit. But that's a belief, a conviction, uh, and something that I am passionate about because I also love games. I love gamification as a concept, etc. If you don't have that, if you're not passionate about something, you will probably pivot differently. You say, okay, well, this doesn't seem to work. Uh, let's do something completely different. There are these examples of uh, um, uh, Slack was originally a game, right? Um, I'm sure you've read the stories. And this is sometimes described as a pivot. Well, actually, it's not a pivot according to the definition of Eric Ries, because he said a change is tragic without a change of vision. Well, if you change from a game to a communication platform, I don't see what the similarity in vision is there. <laughs> it's just something completely different. They used something that seemed to work in their failed game, which was the chat functionality, and said, okay, well, maybe we can turn that into a product. Whatever works. <laughs> So they had a different kind of decision-making to, to figure out how can we turn this into something that, uh, that works. Um, and uh, so 
whether you have a vision or not, a passion or not, a, a, a contribution that you want to make to the world will have an impact, uh, will make a difference in the kinds of decisions that you're making. I, I, for, my, for my book, Startup Scale Up Screw Up, I interviewed the, uh, the CIO of uh, Flixbus in, in Berlin. They're a big scale-up, one of the big scale-ups in, in Germany. They have all these green buses driving around Europe. Um, and I, I, I asked, how did you come up with the idea? I said, well, um, we just looked at uh, many years ago at what, what is going to change uh, in, 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 uh, in Germany. Uh, and they knew that uh, there will be liberalization of the transport market because buses was heavily regulated public transport, and they knew a couple of years from now, things will be liberated. And they said, well, that's it. We need to come up. We need to be there with the platform on day one. At the moment, this law starts taking effect. The market is open. And then they had this company, and they had no passion whatsoever for buses. They couldn't care less. <laughs> they could have come up with something completely different. Um, but they just looked at the opportunities that were coming up, and they said, it makes sense, given the laws that we see changing, to come have this kind of platform product in two, three years' time. That's doable. And then the passion for, infra, for, for transport came along the way. I mean, once you dig into this and once you have a startup going, you have this platform, of course, you become passionate about your product and the change that you can make and, and then the whole sustainability aspect of it. Uh, that was that that came later, um, but they started with a very different uh, premise. Like, okay, what can we see happening, and how can we come up with any kind of product? This model that's going to work. They had no no conviction uh, to start with. That that was uh, something that emerged later on. So, yeah, it can be different for different startups. Your passion can be there from day one. It can be there after two years. Uh, just um, I hope I hope that it will be there at some point <laughs> that mm. it stops being just about the money that you're making. Yeah, hopefully, if it's a, a SaaS business, you're making money within three years profit anyway. <laughs> some of the the numbers I'm seeing, it's like it's laughable. It's like why would I have a business raise money and only make profit in the year five? <laughs> mm. <laughs> Like, I don't understand that. You know what I mean? Like maybe, yeah. maybe two years, maybe. Uh, but then year three, you have to be hitting the straps, right? Um, but again, I suppose it goes back to your motivation, right? So are you in it for profits or are you, you know, are you there for contribution? So to your point, it's like, if you're clear on that stuff, uh, you don't need to be clear on day one, but you know, be, I would say reflect on this sort of question every day if you can, or every once a week, whenever you get a gap, because your answers will change <laughs> based yeah. on the pressure that you're in. Um, and that's a, it's a really powerful thing. So, um, I want to talk to you about your book here. You mentioned, uh, and you, you write rather in your book about 42 effective tools to sustain and accelerate your business's growth of those 42 tools. Do you have a favorite and could you maybe walk us through what that favorite looks like? Well, um, the one that I, talk about a lot is the concept of the business life cycle um, is one of the first I describe in the book. And this is, um, um, there's a, a couple of common terms in the startup scene, problem solution fit and product market fit. 
that um, outside of the startup scene, nobody really seems to know. And I tried to write a book that uh, the uh, larger companies or people working at, at, at bigger businesses would be inspired by. So I, I encountered this language of stages that startups go through with typical practices and responsibilities per stage that seemed very similar to a human being growing up, basically. You could almost uh, align them with, with the life cycle stage of baby, toddler, child, uh, a teenager, etc. Uh, and uh, and and in the, in the beginning it's a lot of play, and then when you're a teenager, everything starts changing for you, and then you have your responsibilities, and then you have uh, uh, as a grown up, you know how to what to what. Uh, well, hopefully, you know what you're going to do uh, in your life, and you're starting to execute instead of exploring. And it's the same with a, with a startup. And so I describe these stages. I have 10 stages because I, I found a couple of models that are basically merged into one picture of 10 stages all the way from the first one, the, the glimmer of an idea, the under-the-shower moment, you could say, of stage one. And then stage two is trying to find problem, solution, fit. And stage three is uh, coming out with a team and getting funding and then four is a product market fit. Those stages are pretty common among startups. Um, and what I learned from that is that practices depend on the stage. Like it, uh, th there's quite a lot of advice of what to do or what not to do per stage. And I just read just before this 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 interview again the advice by Ash Noria who wrote uh, uh, some uh, some startup books that many startups begin with partnerships too early. Uh, while they, they don't even have product market fit yet, but they're already trying to figure out what kind of partnerships to have. And he said that makes very little sense if you haven't even figured out what kind of product, what kind of business model is working for you. What, what partners are interested in partnering with you if you cannot show them how the business model is working and what, and what role they're going to play there. So uh, partnering is something for what I call stage five after product market fit but before you're going to scale which is still sick stage six then you should figure out okay now i have nailed down my business model i have proven product market fit now i have to prepare for scaling up in a safe way which i probably cannot do by myself so i'm, I'm going to need investors i'm going to need partners i'm going to need a lot of stuff and i need to clean up all the mess that i made while doing all these experiments because probably i can throw away 90 percent of what i tried <laughs> Now I can start working on my technical debt and re reducing that and coming up with an architecture that actually makes sense and et cetera, et cetera. Actually, one, one investor told me that after product market fit and before scaling, that can easily take another three years, just getting your business ready so that you survive the scaling years, uh, which is interesting in, in itself. Yeah. So the life cycle thinking, as I call it, that's, that's for me maybe number one because we can learn so much also outside of the startup scene because uh, there's a lot of dogmatic advice, particularly in the agile community. Like thou shalt have a co-located agile teams in the same room uh, and thou shalt use objectives and key results, the OKRs paradigm. Okay, well, I don't think so because startups usually use the North Star metric and not OKRs, which is a different goal-setting paradigm. Um, 
So yeah, things depend on context. It depends on how mature the business is. It goes through life cycle stages like a human being. And what the kids do is not the same as what the adults do and vice versa. Teenagers are a special case. <laughs> they are in that switch mode, basically. Yeah. So when you start, <laughs> when you are uh, in growth phase, um, you know, uh, <laughs> it's unlikely that you're going to get a wife at that stage. I mean, I, I just to maybe add to that. I mean, I, I don't, I hear you in a sense of like the life cycle stuff. It's really, it's really interesting for me in that your you, you're the com the comparison to nature, and you can't really divorce our whole ecosystem from nature. Like there's things that are just true, um, and so I love that point uh, that you made. I would like to add though that. Con to and what you said the word context and context is really everything. So like even with SME Rocket Fuel, we have uh, funding partners uh, on three continents. So we have in you know three in in South Africa, one in the in the UK, we have another one in the US, and we had to do that because the business model wouldn't work otherwise. You know, so we just literally on ramp to our partners. And they fulfill on a very important thing of our on our platform, which is about get funding. And so we spoke about funding options, crowdfunding being one and whatever, but you will take funding at some point because cash flow is a problem that never really goes away, even if you have some form of scale. You you're almost just, you know, have negative working capital in many cases. So when customers yeah. pay late, you know, you need that bridgman facility to to take you into just the next month, even while those invoices clear and there's invoice factoring and stuff. So, so and it's a truism of business growth. So you go from startup to you know um, to growth to maturity and or to expansion and then maturity. You will take funding at some point in some way. Um, and so for for us, we had to take partners on as early as possible. Um, and and but it's all context. Do you know what I'm saying? Like. In the example that you said, it's a hundred percent correct, but you should know when to do it because, to your point, if you take on a partner at the wrong time, even an investor, like if you if you're pre money and you're just doing products, but you have a great vision, you're a great founding team, and you've got a track record and stuff like that, should you be taking money now? But maybe you don't have a choice. So if you take money now, you may you may be giving away the keys to the kingdom too early. You may give away too much share, in which case, if you did want to raise VC money in Series ABC later, there wouldn't be enough shareholding to dilute, you know. Right. And then yeah. what would you have left? So this is the this is why the show matters, and getting uh, you know opinions such as yourself, Jürgen, is so important because it is about perspective. And one thing that I would say is, it, you know, take what take what works for you. And throw away the rest. If it doesn't make sense for you, don't do it. Because I, you know, many of us, uh, I think we oversubscribe to these these ideas that you mentioned, like OKRs and startups. Like, are there these? What was the word that you said they were? Like dogmas or something like that. Yeah, um, dogmatic. Yeah. Yeah, dogmatics. And it's like, but is it really? Do you read? Because it causes so much friction. You know, should you raise money or shouldn't you raise money? I don't know. It's your choice. It's your context. Where are you? What could you do? What can't you do? What, <laughs> what's the downside, you know, and what's the upside? Exactly. Um, and I think yeah, it's… What, it, what, what kind of person are you? Like, I, I know I'm not the kind of person to, to spend half or all my time networking with venture capitalists because uh, that's the responsibility you will have as a CEO, uh, but that a lot of your time will be spent with with the shareholders um, and 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 preparing the next funding round. 
I, I love reading books. I love writing articles. <laughs> I love being creative uh, every day. I don't want to spend half of my, my, my time doing things that make me very, very unhappy. So I, I, I rule out uh, the, the venture capitalist uh, 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 road from, from day one. That's just not me. Uh, crowdfunding fits me more naturally because, yeah, I have quite a lot of readers and people that I know across the world because of my workshops and books and blog and everything that I do. Um, so that's much easier for, to, for me to, to manage uh, to manage that. So there's that's just one variable. I mean, what, what fits you as a person? What makes you happy? Do you enjoy pitching to, <laughs> to, to VCs? Or do you think, oh my God, that's the worst thing that, that, that they could do to me? Well, that you need to take that into the equation of, of, of what you want to uh, your business to become and there are some really successful businesses out there that did not take any money uh, and uh, that that uh, that people are quite uh, envious about of where they where they have uh, ended up yeah uh, there's a book just on that last point of yours um i don't know if you've read it small giants by bo berlingham yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a great book um busy reading it now uh, just about fantastic businesses that no one's ever known about, never taken money, super profitable, and they're great. They're golden, you know. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But again, it's, it's, it all goes back to you as the founder, right? And and who you are. Uh, cool. So, Jurgen, let's uh, let's wrap this up. Just uh, two more questions from from my side. Go ahead. Uh, what's what would you say has been your greatest achievement? I think my greatest achievement has been that people tell me after a keynote uh, that I changed their life. That has happened several times, and that's that's that that makes me feel so proud that I I wrote a book, um, I put it out there. It just has stories of what I have done in my company, of the company where I worked, my own startups. I I shared whatever worked for me. Hopefully. Uh, uh, it works for other people as well. And then they come to me and say, well, thanks to you, I quit my horrible job and I became an entrepreneur. That happened a couple of weeks ago that somebody told me. And now I have a company with 90 people and that would not have happened if I haven't met you and and, uh, things like that. And that's super cool. I mean, that's just amazing when you, you notice that you had an impact in somebody else's life. And that from writing a book and, and doing some workshops around around the world. So that's something that I am personally proud of, that apparently what I do matters to some people. And that comes back. That's We come back full circle to where, where we started, right? But what do you want to be proud of uh, uh, at the end of your life? Uh, it's, it's having had an impact for some people in the world, having uh, uh, some some legacy and uh, yeah, a book that meant something to other people is, I think, my greatest achievement. Well, I guess you kind of answered my <laughs> my last question for you, which right. is uh, you mentioned getting out of bed in the morning. I'll ask it anyway because sometimes you get a different. It's similar, but there's a different answer there. But why do you do what you do? What gets you out of bed in the morning? I'm a curious person. 
I, I, I want to know why things work the way they do. <laughs> That's why I read a lot of popular science, for example. I just want to understand the psychological aspect of work. I want to understand anthropology. I want to understand economics. I, wanna, I just want to understand this universe that I am trying to survive in because it fascinates me. I've, I read it dozens of books on complexity science and systems thinking just because everything around us is a system and these books basically display explain everything from companies to biology to the human brain so there's a lot of truths in these kinds of books that are applicable and that you can recognize everywhere it's just i'm a very curious guy i just want to understand stuff and i think yeah that gets me out of bed in the morning what what, what can i learn today that I could use and maybe write about at some point. Amazing stuff. Jürgen Apello, thanks so much for your time today. It's been great to have you on the show. Guys, uh, as we touched on earlier, the book is called, uh, let me get it up here, Startup, Scale Up, Screw Up. So you can get it on Amazon. I've just bought it myself, Jürgen. So there you go. You can now give me that that 100 euros in crowdfunding. (laughs) Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time. And guys, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget, sign up at smerocketfield.com. It is free. You can access funding for your business, access the world's largest prospecting engine, and so much more. Uh, Thank you all for tuning in, and we'll see you here again soon. Hey there, guys. At smerocketfield.com, you can access new markets and your ideal customers within seconds from a globally compliant data engine built specifically to help your business grow faster than ever before. And the best part, it's free. Yes, that's right, it is free. Head on over to smerocketfield.com and sign up for free today so that you can start accelerating your business growth faster than ever before, wherever you are, with smerocketfield.com. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my Clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.